Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Today I'm just north of Gala Shields on the Gala Water at Cruxton Farm with the farmer Jim Sinclair, Hugh mm-hmm. Chalmers of the Tweed Farm and Chris McDonald of SAC Consulting. Would you like to introduce yourselves first, Jim? My son Graham and I got the tenancy from Lord Bodwick when he retired in the year 2000. It's all one unit but it's a, uh, we'll have the Clint's Hill and then there's about roughly 1,100 acres in it, and then we have Crookston here, which has 900 acres, so we're somewhere in the region of just short of 2,000 acres. We now run about nearly 2,000 ewes on that, we've sort of upped the number slightly over the years, and 90 cows. Hello. I am Hugh Chambers, I'm from Tupelo, and I've been working with Jim and Graham for the last few years, looking at what we can do to improve the quality of the tributaries of the Tweed which run through the farm. And Chris? Hi, Chris McDonald with SAC Consulting. Um, I've worked for well, over 20 years for, for SAC based in the Lothians and Borders uh, and uh, work with farmers from uh, Green Hill, Hill Street farmers all the way down to arable farmers. Uh, I also do some work on agri-environment schemes as well. And Jim, you've done some work here <coughs> with the tree farm and natural flood management. Can you tell us a bit about that? I'm trying to think just for many years, it seems a number of years ago since we had our first introduction to Tweed Forum that came about. We had tried to get in through SRDP schemes, which we hadn't enough points the second time, and a lot of the things that would gain you points didn't really fit in with our way of trying to manage the farm here. Um, for instance, you know, keeping the sheep off a sort of April, May time, and this, you know, we. There's very little grass here at the rest of the time, so every blade of grass is a prisoner. So it wasn't working for us at all, but through the introduction of our landlord, Lord Broadway, he actually introduced us to one day if we wanted to meet Hugh, coming from the Tweed Forum, and the sort of plan that Hugh had in his mind was just virtually a mirror image of what we were trying to do. So the bits that we were wanting fenced off where we had Big problems in 2010, we lost a lot of sheep, you know, flooding and such like. And again, the thing is that for us, you know, as a tenant farmer, you've got to try and, it's never going to be yours, so this sounds rather selfish, but it's never going to be ours, so we're not going to be spending endless capital on it. So you're looking for some sort of uh, help of some kind. This is where the Tweed Forum, as far as we're concerned, is a proved invaluable queue. Hugh did all the paperwork for us and everything else. I say that the, the things that we had in mind, Graham and I, were virtually much the same as Hugh's and we've, we've added bits on to that, you know, maybe what we'd initially thought and we've added another bit on. It's just sort of progressed over these number of years. Yeah. And so you've, what you've actually done then is you've, you went in and planted riparian trees along the... Yes, well, the, 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 the problem we had was it flooded quite badly and then we would we would be losing stock in it. Right. And we would be looking for stock fences. It, you know, it, there's been a, quite a considerable investment made in this place. That for us was really, as a management tool, it made our life a lot easier. You know, when the, when the floods came and we didn't need to worry about losing sheep, losing... But it didn't need to be floods. It could happen, you know, in springtime in particular when sheep and that are looking for a wee green bite they're wearing all these soft bits so there's a this sort of fluke side of it you know the liver fluke thing and the sheep and the cattle not a huge problem here but you know it is there and that also helped us and, and other bits that was incorporated 
you know, maybe a bit that was planted here, we could run a fence across and that sort of made it easier for us to, to, to manage. So as far as the planting of the trees and what type of trees or really it was on the advice of Hugh and the, and the, the, the Tweed Forum. And then in 2017 you were awarded the Tweed Forum River Champion. Would you like to tell us a bit about that, Hugh? Uh, yes, well, that was really in recognition of the contribution Jeremy Graham had made to uh, keeping the rivers clean and actually improving the quality of the rivers. So, yeah, what we did, I think it was we started off in about 2012, Tweed Forum, we had a project on the on the Gala water, looking to see how we could basically improve it to keep keep the water clean, especially away from livestock poaching, but also to, to see if we could slow down the, the flow of water. And, and actually improve or reduce flooding downstream in Gala Shields. So anyway, I think it struck it lucky here at Crookston because what we wanted was just what, what Jim and Graham mm. wanted. So we, we've now planted, uh, it's over 50 hectares on the farm, the first 25 are right beside the river and on the floodplain, as Jim says, to protect animals from drowning in the water and also from fluke, etc. So all we did was really coordinate uh, the work to plant the trees, which meant uh, stock fencing and getting contractors in and we also did the paperwork for forestry grant scheme and other monies and other monies actually came through a wind farm mitigation fund as organised by Scottish Borders Council. Long winded way of saying that we've now got a, a lovely stretch of river over a mile long which is managed in an exemplary way yeah. and this is the, the, <coughs> the decisions of Jim and Graham so that's why we thought they'd be worthy champions. Uh, the Armit Water which is a wee tributary of the Gala water here is that it's uh, very much full of fish. It's a great spawning river for salmon and trout and a bit eels and other fish in there too. So, so it's something we really want to keep clean. And it wasn't particularly endangered by farming activities but it's just that wee bit more better off now. So, so we're very pleased and Jim uh, was the second ever river champion. And you have a new one this year? Uh, this year, yes. This year is a chap called Eric Hastings and he's He's been a bailiff on the river. He just retired for the last 30 years. So, again, another worthy champion. What were the impacts on the river that you were hoping to see after the work that was done here? Okay, so what we what we now have is a, a river, a zone, which is not grazed. And it, there's, there's trees along part of it, native trees. Okay, so that does, that does lots of different things. First of all, it provides a kind of wildlife corridor. And the, there's plenty of deer running about in there at the moment. So as well, of course, for animals and, and creatures to move about in. It also provides shade for the river. There's a problem with, with climate change, rivers are overheating in yeah. certain places, so this, this will make sure we've got shade for the river. If the water gets too hot, the fish will die. Also, the, the leaves fall into the river, and animals, insects fall into the river from the trees to provide fish food. So that's, again, upping the whole system. There's, there'll be more of everything. And, and also the trees will stabilise the bank, so there's less erosion. And also, livestock can't actually poach the banks, which is it makes a farm vulnerable to prosecution from SEPA. So we've we've got rid of all that, uh, and all it took really was a kind of capital investment through Forestry Commission and Scottish Borders Council. There's lo lots of good things, uh, and also on other sites we're looking at uh, carbon sequestration. So these trees are taking in carbon, but we've actually managed to sell some of the carbon uh, and put that money back into the project. So. My job is really to, to coordinate things and make sure it, it washes its face. And when the river floods down here, I'm assuming that the riparian woodland will, will slow down the flow of that flood water down to the... Yeah, so the effect for natural flood management, which is partly from the trees intercepting water yeah. and transpiring water, 
also slowing down the flow, overland flow of water getting into the river and increasing infiltration. Yeah. So there's all that. But there's also, eventually some trees will fall across the river and cause a, a bit of a temporary obstruction and then so the water will flood out over the floodplain. Uh, as part of the design, in fact, we, we dug in <coughs> a few scrapes or ponds, really basically for ducks. Yeah. Uh, and we've attracted a lot of wildlife to them too. But they will, again, flood. Uh, and slow down the flow down the main river, and again that will just have a, a could have a cumul cumulative effect with other things and slow the amount of flooding in, in Gallas Hills, which is about 20 miles down the road. So it sounds like it's been a win-win for both Jim and the Tweed Farm. So Chris, do you think that this is something that more farmers should be considering? Yes, uh, I think you're right, right when you say it's a win-win. I mean, you've got a situation here really where the land probably wasn't that productive in addition to it being fenced off, which is going to help because the sheep are not getting any fluke problems and the uh, sheep are not getting lost in, in the bog. Uh, we've got some tree planting going on, <coughs> uh, which, is, which is helping with uh, lots of things, really. But the combination of all that is helping your flood, your flood management as well as not interfering in, well, actually helping the, the farm. We've got a win-win situation. It's an easy sell to, to farmers. Yeah. I think uh, there'll be a lot of farmers that probably don't don't know or realise that they, what they can do. They're probably not aware of the fact that they're in a, a flood plain or at the top of a flood, flood plain like they are here. Uh, and that's probably, to my mind, that's where the catchment kind of management approach comes in. It helps if you've got an, an opportunity to sort of, for someone where I like people and to visit the farmers up the catchment and persuade folk to go into schemes or uh, whatever's available and just yeah. to highlight the areas that could be improved to improve the flood management. That, I would absolutely right that what Chris is saying because it's a win-win situation as far as we're concerned. It was a it was it's a win for the landlord because you know it's it's helping the overall farm. It's a value into it. It's helping us as a management thing and again I, I Keep going back to uh, it's tenant farmers. You don't want to lose a lot of acres if there's going to be any reduction in numbers. But what we've what we've done is it was a fairly fairly simple design because the way the whole place lies down into this a valley bottom, it was reasonably straightforward. Well, yeah. we would we thought it was anyway, and as I say, the, the Hugh and that agreed with us. But we've added other bits onto it, and um, we had a lot of negative uh, comments from some other farmers, because I don't think they probably realise themselves, you know, Tweed Forum never entered our head till, you know, we did reductions from, from Lord Broderick, but you heard about, you know, there wasn't any first-hand information. Never... I think that there has to be opportunities out there, the same as ourselves. I know a lot of people maybe do it privately, or some people may do it privately, um, but uh, for us, everything seemed to just fall into place, to be quite honest. Yeah. And I don't think up to now that we have any regrets of any kind that we have in this. Mm. It's just, it's, uh, there's no negatives. I know that sounds rather maybe over the top comment, but there's no negatives as far as, as, as uh, Graham and I are concerned. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I think the role of Tweed Forum is to, well, we're, we're the catchment management organisation for the Tweed, so we're always looking for opportunities. And it kind of depends on what funding we have as well so but I think we are quite a good model for a river system and I think you know and there are other fisheries bodies all around Scotland and, and England too who would be keen to do the same thing as us but I think there are maybe one or two steps ahead of some groups because you know we are a staffed organisation and we 
maybe get some funding from various organisations. So, so it's a good model, and if, if you want to look after the river, you have to find the best opportunities, and you have to kind of know the farming system and, and, and get to know the farmers, and we can find what we've got in common. So I think that's the best way to work that. And there, there has been <coughs> some other groups from other countries and universities that have came here to have a look at what you've done. Yeah, well, well, never actually. Uh, I think maybe back at the time of the, the award thing it was mentioned, there's been, a, there's been quite a number of people here uh-huh. over the years, as you say, from different countries. Yeah. Um, I think we're, because we're welcomed here, you know, it's <laughs> in terms of very welcoming uh, to all kinds of groups from, you know, SAC groups, SRUC, all student groups. We're not too far from Edinburgh here too, so no, not, we get that, quite that, a few that, politicians then. Well, we've had our building with nature group all from the, all around the North Sea, so all from Norway and Sweden and Denmark. Mm-hmm. And lots of European groups are interested to see because it, it's different for them to get on the ground and see what mm-hmm. see what we're talking about. You, have the, you need the support of the landlord as well. So it's a joint effort, really, but I always feel that we, not we don't have to, but I think it's only right that we try and help the Tweed Forum if, mm. if it's to promote and help somebody else, because I say it's been, the Tweed Forum's been good for us. Yeah. So it's, it's a good example of collaboration. Ah, and ah, and it's, it's only right if they can bring something, want to bring anybody else out here yeah. to see what they're doing and if that helps them get more funding and etc. Et can, can I just ask, Jim, have you you fenced off the kind of low ground mm-hmm. bit? Do you still have access to the other side of that? area that you fenced off. You might say, Chris, that the, the fence bits are all in the middle. Aye, but and this gives us, well, it's down to the sort of, when you're looking at it, what's the best place to put the fence. Yeah. Or, sometimes you've got to give a wee bit to get So it hasn't, it hasn't really... No, it's, it's absolutely not. You're stuck at levels. No, no, no. And that, that is, that's probably the thing that's on to, you know, when it comes down around the sort of forestry thing that um, we would like to sort of bring, bring more join up that like sort of a jigsaw, so like the corridors are touched like there's the one thing that this place here does, not so much the Clint's the hillside, but Crookston, that you would tell is the white side, um, is very much like a shelter. Very, very open in the springtime and such like. And the thing is, you know, there is these forestry grants, but uh, uh, and we have, a, as I say, a landlord that always gives us a 100% backing, really. We don't want to lose too many acres because we've got to think about how you keep the stocking numbers, but a place like Crookston, you can lose a wee bit and it wouldn't really make a lot of difference. It's trying to get these all, all these things to fit in and as I say something's not going to cost us a very little money. I think we're lucky we've got forestry grants available in yeah. Scotland. It's all it's all about the carbon and the climate change agenda. So that, that's great. So we can take advantage of that. But uh, sometimes you know the Forestry Commission criteria for mm-hmm. planting trees are a bit don't quite fit what we want. So, fit what we want, yeah. Exactly. So we we managed to make it fit in, in this case, mm. uh, but some of the other stuff on the hill we were wanting kind of shelter belts that might be a bit narrower than the forest mission would like, you know, there's a, uh, it might have to be a, a compromise or a bit of give and take with them but uh, there are other ways of getting funding for this kind of stuff though, the agri environment climate schemes. Yeah, I mean there's the agri environment um, the scheme, environment climate change scheme. Um, and that, well, that offers grants for fencing off watercourses, water, water margins, as well as wetlands and ponds, pond creation and so on. So, uh, yeah, there are grants available under that. It's a bit uncertain as to what's going to happen after that. I think that, well, I, I'm just guessing who would know what's going to happen. You know, they're, they're pushing for these, this, 
Derek always speaks about public goods and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. But you know, if they want people to do something, I think they really have to try and keep them in some shape or form. But I think, for that's, us, a, I think that's a good point, isn't it? Because because you're farming here, you're able to do work here, and you know, keeping a population farming in the hills and uplands is essential for managing the, the land in this area. So it all works. It all goes together. If you can make it fit. No, that's absolutely right, and, and, and I say it has, uh, has uh, and, you know, <laughs> I can never say it often enough, it certainly fits like a glove in this place anyway. Have you seen any uh, other benefits or things that you didn't expect since you planted in, planted the trees? Um, that, uh, probably, probably not. My granddaughter did say that she thought it would, when, when, the, when the trees got up down the bottom, it encouraged flies in the summertime, <laughs> and you were complaining that the sheep. <laughs> maybe a slight bit to that but uh, I think when you're here every day you just take it for granted and Hugh did mention about the, you know, the, in the ponds and that for the ducks I think within a couple of days of the ponds being there mm -hmm. and the ducks had landed on yeah the, I know, know and, immediately I, yeah. and everything <laughs> so you know there's roe deer are going about there rabbits is not a thing we'll have a lot of here really but we pass it every day or three, four, five times a day we maybe just mm -hmm. don't look as Maybe from closely, <laughs> I mean, the, the trees themselves are now for five or six years of growing, mm -hmm. they're coming established really well. We need to, they are growing very well, so we'll, they'll be having the effect of shading and inputting and, and, and getting more cover for the for wildlife because there'll be otters down there catching fish, but with the river <coughs> hanging edges, there's more places for the fish to, to hide away from the goosanders as well. That's something that's probably the, the flight path of the geese far mm. along in their Brotherson, which is just over a mile. Mm. They've started to sit, uh, there's maybe eight or nine now, and they, they come down towards that pond and they're out on here a wee bit. Right. I just hope there's not any more of them, but uh -huh. anyway, I don't know whether it's anything to do with the, the mm -hmm. pond being there, but they certainly have shifted its life. You know, things that are likely happening down there would be colonisation by woodland birds, because yeah. obviously well, there's no there woodland birds there before. There so, and there'll be, there'll be things nesting in there too. So that's good. But as I say, we're not, we haven't been monitoring this area because it costs a lot of money to monitor. Mm. And likewise, we've not been monitoring the, the effect on, on runoff of rainfall. But we are doing it in the Edelson water yeah. near Peebles. So that's, that's a different thing. And we talked about before in the podcast about what we're doing in Edelson. But that's very highly monitored at great cost. But uh, So we think if we do the same here, We'll get the same benefit as we're trying to measure at Edelson. Yeah. Are there any other steps that farmers can take to help natural flood management? You know, I don't. You know, I think for us, as I say, it was it was it was reasonably straightforward. But you know, it's not till after you've done something and then you think you can add a bit on, and then if somebody comes out as a sort of fresh pair of eyes and say, "What about that?" You know, oh, I never thought of that. So I suppose that mm -hmm. they're always a bit. We definitely feel now that we are, there's maybe bits in the valley bottom that Hugh would still like to do, but he's no chance of getting them. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit up the top there. Aye, but we're, bits up, about, yeah. so we're, we're sort of coming in from the top, maybe down yeah. the way, uh -huh. you know, a corridor mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call them, but um, we have done a bit up there, and then we've another bit sort of in the pipeline at this moment in time, Yeah, just to sort of, you know, join up. Yeah, yeah. So there's always there's always something you can do, you know. But sometimes you don't see the obvious when you're there. Yeah, depends on the on the landscape. And what we haven't really done here is put in any ponds that will hold back flood water. Because what, what I've done in other other landscapes on the Edison water, doing about twenty ponds which have actually got extra freeboard for flood water. Right. 
So basically when the rivers rise up, they spill into the pond and they're held back temporarily, holding back a certain cubic meterage of water. And so in that way it slows everything down. And likewise, we haven't put in any flow-restricting log jams because the, the Arnott water is a bit too big for that. But in smaller tributaries, we'd do that, like we've done in Edelson water. So there are things you can do. Also, putting in transverse hedges, that might, that's appropriate in some places. Again, that increases infiltration of water, of flood water, or rainwater, and transpiration as well. So you know, there's other things you could do, actually, but you know, the, the grasslands manage well here, but in some places where you could aerate the grassland, and that again increases infiltration yeah. of rainfall into the soil and that soil acts as a bit of a reservoir and then so the rain doesn't flood off as quickly as, as it would before we just with sheep grazing in particular so that's that's a, a thing we've we tried in Northumberland actually and it's used occasionally but we need to do it on a bigger scale and it's good grassland management and things like uh, you know sward lifting and, and uh, mold draining all, all good stuff reducing compaction so if, if it was a feat, if it was a problem in this farm, you maybe we think about doing that as well. Yeah. But again, we're, it would be best done where we can monitor it. But having a margin as well next to the river, having a whether it's trees or just tall grass, it's yeah, not, it's uh -huh. not great. That'll yeah. reduce the flow of water. That's right. As I say, it's just like every little helps, and any any uh, margins you've got are, are good for you know, catching any silt runoff uh, into the river because. You know, silt in the river is a, bit, is a big problem because it, it usually carries phosphate and that can cause algal blooms in the river and, and when the river heats up, you know, the river will, will basically die. Yeah. So again, you want to keep silt out of the river. Uh, all so you're talking about like sediment traps? So it could be sediment traps, yeah. it could be ways of breaking drains so as they flush out onto a, a buffer zone beside the river. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> not many farmers like to hear about breaking drains, but to... Basically, it shows that you're not losing your soil. So it's basically soil conservation. So it's all about a kind of diffuse pollution problems we have in, in some tributaries of the Tweed, but not up here in the, the Arbit water. It's more than the more the flatter areas, yeah. the arable areas. I don't think we've... These, remember the pictures that Graham had, you know, the, where the valley bottom was flooded, I think, well, you would... There are somewhere uh -huh. there, but yeah. whether it's just coincidence or... Touch wood, I don't know. But mm -hmm. We've never really had a huge flood. You know, it's been fairly dry here, and it's a reasonably dry part of the country at times. But it was quite visible before. But maybe if we have it now, it's not quite as visible because it's sort of moved out into these fenced-off areas. I don't know. Uh -huh. yeah. And I don't think that. And again, this is touch wood, and one shouldn't take fate. But it's a while since Stow's been flooded. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I hope it's never flooded again. But that has to make a difference of some kind. Yeah, and as, as as you said, you know, there, it's, there's no actual uh, written evidence to say that that is the case, but uh, yeah. it has to make a difference because when you when you look at the amount of water, you would sort of pass by it and never just give it a great deal of thought. You, for the amount of water it actually mm. yeah. appears is, is uh -huh. quite phenomenal. We had two we working in about ten farms up in the the Gala Water Catchment Upper Catchment, so we've we've put in over fifty hectares of trees here, but there's I think there's a couple of hundred hectares of trees now in place in the upper uh, Gala water and so a few other measures as well. So so again, it all, it all adds up. It's a, it's a very big catchment. If there's a farmer listening to this now and he's in the catchment, uh, in the Tweed catchment, and he mm -hmm. has a poor bit of land that he doesn't know what to do with and he wants to get in touch with you. Yeah, by all means get in touch because we have projects 
all in all different subcatchments of the Tweed, all different tributaries. Are, so in some of them we're looking at the tributaries that are most vulnerable to overheating and we'd worked with the Tweed Foundation on that with Marine Science Scotland so we can identify the rivers that are most vulnerable to overheating and the best way to reduce that is by planting trees now beside them. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's one thing we're quite keen on. But uh, yeah, like in the Gala Water Catchment, any any of the the towns in in the borders that are subject to flooding, so you've got Hoyk and Selkirk, Peebles and Gala Shields, anyway, in, in up, upstream of them we're very keen to talk to. Yeah. Uh, referring to Derek, that's Derek Robson, my, my colleague, he's got a, doing quite a lot of that kind of work above Hoyk as part of the Hoyk flood scheme. So, uh, yeah, anyone in the upper TV, it would be good to hear from yeah. If there's anyone else uh, listening and they're outside of the Tweed catchment, elsewhere in Scotland, where could they go for, for more information? Well, they could, uh, I mean, within SAC Consulting, we, we can advise the farmers on uh, uh, agri environment schemes. Uh, and uh, forestry grant schemes as well. Forestry yes, there was an opportunity yeah. there for you know that type of thing that we've yeah. got here in the Tweed Forum. The trouble with the scheme we've done here in terms of forestry commission that they're keen on getting their hectares planted. Mm, absolutely, uh, they're going to. Uh, and it's cheaper mm-hmm. to put a big block of conifers in there is to do a long strip, thin strip of of native uh, trees. I don't think they're promoting it as much as they might because they've, they've put their objectives to meet. So we've got to show to them that. Although, in terms of value for money, this looks an expensively long fence for the area contained. Actually, there's so many multiple benefits, which you talked about, other than just timber production. But that, you know, back to, back to the, the type of trees that are planted on the valley bottom, they're there for a purpose. But when, when we're talking about here, this corridor type thing, you know, coming to the top down the way, it's, we're looking, you know, you don't get much shelter behind a birch tree, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We're looking for, a, you know, maybe more conifers, uh, trees planted as maybe Hugh would ideally want, because it's it's a shelter thing that we're yeah. that, that yeah. is you know and and for us really to be quite honest it's you just about put down as a welfare issue and I know that sounds rather that's a right over the top comment but at lambing time you know into April and you know, last year was maybe an exception but. Not necessarily in this part of the country. Now, the beast race is... We've had two or three visits since 2000. And this Gala Water area, we do get more than a share of snow. I'm not saying we're the only ones that get it, but we do get more than a share. It's not easy to be a particular field. How do you shelter it? Because the wind's coming to the east today and it's coming to the north tomorrow. And on that thing, we'd be looking for sort of a reasonable amount of conifers in it that would provide, you know, maybe grow a bit quicker and provide just a bit of shelter. And it's something that well, Hugh's well aware of, and we've discussed it, you know, mm-hmm. maybe over the piece of what we could maybe do and what we might try. Or not. Well, that's yeah. right. It's not. That's just what I want. But you know, the Forest Commission they do have uh, landscape architects, and then putting big strips of conifers up a hill is is not what they want to see. Mm. Yeah. So, but that's what the farmer needs to see because mm. he wants shelter, and if you know, that means he can, you know, well, the lives will grow better. That's what I. Yeah. Know. But I think you can, you know. There's no reason why there's no some compromise. That really, to encourage farming and to encourage livestock production on land which is challenging. That's we need these dark lines of trees, dark strips of trees to yeah. to help the farmer. Every livestock farmer, I would say, livestock particularly, maybe the animal farmers disagree with it. 
we're, we're heading for lambing again, calving, time round the corner for some folk. It's not a light switch thing. You can't sit and wait for tomorrow. You've got to, you've got to try and do things for yourself. And it's the same as this, you know, this tweed forum or, or the forestry thing or whatever. You've got to try and make it happen for yourself. As personally, I always think it's quite, uh, it's quite sad to see some of these farms go to trees. But again, that's a that's a business decision. It's a yeah. it's a personal personal choice, and it's it's understandable why some people do it. I think the Tweed Forum has been working. The Scottish Government on the Land Use Strategy, a pilot project for the borders, and I think uh, especially you know, my colleague Derek, this Peter Robson's come up. We've got a, we've got some really good stuff on you know old map based stuff, and it's to help uh, base decisions on land use. And as Jim was saying, you know which you know which farms should go to trees and which ones should be left for food production mm. and uh, uh, or which, what can we do for natural fertilizer here what's best for carbon storage there so they're all really good ideas in land use strategy so if we could maybe roll that out and maybe use some of the ideas there and then we can maybe target funding so maybe yeah. one of their targets more livestock production and one of their targets trees Yeah, you know? and then there's bits in between like the Trees and Forest Initiative, we should maybe try and make more of that and, uh, and and fund the kind of infrastructure that we need to, to get every farm just right in terms of looking after the environment, farming in whatever way you want, whether livestock or arable, and also uh, reducing flooding and all the other multiple benefits that can come yeah. from that. So there's, if we're a bit more clever, we could uh, look at a land use strategy and, and try and, and make things happen that way. Very challenging for farmers in the hills and uplands when the, the margins are so tight. Mm-hmm. You know where you've got and opportunities really have to be taken where they where they arise. Whether that's uh, renewable energy, some people have taken that up, or whether it is some forestry planting. Personally, I quite like. I don't like to see whole farms just disappear in trees. It's the only way out. Then I suppose that that's what has to happen. But I think farmers in in these areas should just. Take a step. Look at look at what they're doing. Look at the costs of production. Do some benchmarking against with other farms, eh, and see see where where they stand. There's always opportunities to improve, no matter who no matter who you are, what you're doing. Well, efficiency is uh, and, and you're quite right, and I'm quite sure we could be more efficient here. We did have a whole farm review a number of years ago, and my man retired after that. I think. <laughs> We were too much for them. <laughs> be more efficient, of course we could all be more efficient and we don't care who it is or any organisation more efficient. And you also need you also need a bit of encouragement from your landlord. You know, we have a good working relationship with our landlord. You know, they've got to try and buy into your ideas or and tell them you've got to remember it's not theirs, it's theirs. <laughs> if there was some farmer or maybe they did have a, a poor bit of ground that they wanted to do something with and they felt they didn't need it for their production purposes mm. what would you say to them no absolutely for the acres in this place I don't think we've taken away an acre that one would really say was uh, making any difference to the farm uh, the one in the farm and it was certainly not the best you know, it, mm-hmm. was, it was at the bottom end of the scale there's far more good yeah. stuff here it's, it's poor stuff but I, I, I do think that it's not until the thing actually appears on your doorstep or, or, or you're confronted with it, you've, you've maybe never given these things a thought. You've no reason to think about them. Mm. No, I would fully encourage everybody. But I think that's an interesting thing when I come onto a farm because I, I can look at the farm and make various judgments, mm. but and then I can say, well, well, why can't we? How about we plant trees up that gully and then because it looks a poor bit of land, but 
I might not know that that's where the sheep always go when there's a northeast wind, you know, so mm. it's, it's actually, it looks poor, but it's actually invaluable. But I couldn't tell that because I don't farm the place, you know. So that's why you got to come down and get to know the farm and the farmer and, and how they're farming. Because if you're going to make a change, I, I make the change and I walk away, but these guys got to live with it all the time. Mm. Yeah, so it's, mm. it's, it's up to them. Once it's so, out of the trees, there's no lot of going back, mate. No, no. Although, you know, the, the good thing is in the future, you know, when these fences are not as good as they are now, in maybe 20 years' time, you could maybe do some light grazing in there, in the woodlands, uh, always in shelter within the woods. So. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and uh, I'd like to thank Jim, Hugh and Chris for coming along and uh, taking part. For more information, you can visit the Farm Advisory Service website. Thanks for listening.